I'm about to say something no one has ever heard me say. Take out your cell phones. Everybody, seriously, take out your cell phones and turn them on. Turn your cell phones on, okay? You're like, they're already on. I know. Hold them up. I want to see them. I want everybody holding up your phone, okay? I want to see it. If you'll wave them back and forth, I'll sing Freebird right now. <laughs> if I leave. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay. All right. Here's what I want you to do right now, okay? I want you to text somebody in this room, okay? Somebody in this room, I want you to text them this message. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I want you to put the exclamation point on it. Text that to somebody in this room. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Do that right now. The teenagers have already finished. They're like, now what? <laughs> They're awesome, man. They text all day at school just like this. They don't even look. They can do it one hand behind their back. They're awesome. Okay, thank you all for doing that. Everybody there? There's a couple of people in here like, you have no idea what I'm even talking about. Your text? Is he talking about the Bible? Not yet. Not yet. Everybody done? Not yet. You're just adding to the sermon time now. Come on. Everybody in? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be... Now, you're supposed to turn your ringer off, okay? I forgot to say that. <laughs> Set your phones right now to stun, okay? Because nobody wants to hear the ring, all right? Make sure they're set to stun or whatever it is. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. To me, this is the strongest confession of faith that we have in the Bible. This is the climax of the book of Habakkuk. Now, remember, when we started, we said the book of Habakkuk is really centered on two questions. Remember the two questions? The whole thing revolves around this. Number one, why do the righteous suffer? In other words, why do bad things happen to good people? The second question is, is God truly reigning in goodness and power? The answers to those two questions, as we see in Habakkuk, are number one, we don't know. Number two, yes, yes. And remember in chapter 1, we, we wrestled with God, remember, in distress and even despair. We struggled with God over the injustice in our world. In chapter 1, we were open and honest with God about the things in our own lives that don't make sense. All the things in our own lives that are maybe even straight up unfair. And then in chapter 2, we heard our God's reply to our complaints. God's answer is to wait. All these things that are causing you trouble, all these things that are causing you heartache and pain, all these things in your life that you don't understand, God says, I've got it. I'm taking care of it. I'm going to fix everything that's broken. I'm going to make right everything that's gone so wrong at the appointed time. Remember, on God's time frame. It's when it will happen. In the meantime, middle of chapter 2, remember? In the meantime, the righteous will live by their faith. Now, today, chapter 3, which is a song. This song, Habakkuk 3, is a beautiful and extensive description of how God, in His great power and love, has always saved His people. And it ends with this amazing expression of certainty that because God has always saved His people in the past, we are confident God will always save His people in the future. 
We know Habakkuk 3 is a song, and we know it was sung in the worship assembly of God's people because of the technical instructions at the beginning and the end. Are y'all in Habakkuk? I want you to see this, okay? Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. I want you to turn there and look at the very last verse, right at the end of the song. What does it say? For the director of music on my stringed instruments. Habakkuk was in the temple praise band. That was his job, right? He writes the song, and he hands it to the worship priest, and he says, here's a song for worship this week. I'll play lead. That's kind of what this means. And we see a similar thing happening in 1 Chronicles 16. In 1 Chronicles 16, David writes a song. He hands it to the high priest, Asaph, and then after the church, after the assembly of God's people sing the song, at the end it says, everybody said, praise the Lord and amen. And so Habakkuk writes this song for worship. It says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments, and the tune to the song is Shagianoth. Yeah, how do we know that? Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. On Shagianoth, to the tune of Shagianoth. That's what this means. Is there anybody in the room who is familiar with Shagianoth? Can you hum a few bars? Does anybody? It'd be really helpful if we knew what that tune was. We don't know what the tune was. When I was in seminary, Hebrew was an elective, and I elected not to take it. So I, I don't know Hebrew, but my Hebrew research has shown me over the past couple of weeks that the word shagianoth is from a Hebrew root word that means, you're going to love this, to reel to and fro. That sounds like Chuck Berry more than Habakkuk, right? To reel to and fro. That's what Shagianoth means. Now, I feel like my dad now. This looks like something he would do. But that's, that's kind of, right, that's what Shagianoth means. And so, like back in the day, maybe we would say, we're going to go dance a jig. Back then, maybe they said, we're going to shake a shig. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I don't know Hebrew, okay? I'm guessing. But that's what this means. And so evidently God's people were familiar enough with the tune that Habakkuk could write this song and he could give it to the church and they could sing it really well on the first day. That, that's kind of how this works, right? He would just say, okay, church, here's a new song. We're going to sing it today. And the church would say, a new song, because that's what we say, right? A new song. We don't want to sing a new song. And Habakkuk would say, trust me, it's inspired, you know? And then he would say, we can do this because it's the tune of Shagianoth. And they'd all go, oh yeah, we know that tune. You can sing any song if you know the tune. Is this thing falling off? What's going on? You can sing any song if you know the tune, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you can sing Amazing Grace to Gilligan's Island. Have you ever done that? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. You can do it if you want to. If you want to, you can do it, right? No, 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 no. Sing with me. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun, than when we first begun. See how that works? We know how that works, right? We could put any words on the screen and you could sing them because we know the tune. Now, one of my favorite church songs of all time, remember these songbooks? When we all get to heaven. You can do this, right? To Gilligan's Island. 
Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare a place. Okay, say yeah. We know how this works. What about Beverly Hillbillies? I haven't even tried that yet. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and His grace. Is that how it goes? Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed. Okay. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare a place. When we get to heaven, all rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll shout the victory. Right? <laughs> Streets of gold. Okay. All right. That's what's going on here. Okay? That's what's happening. I just wanted you all to own this because this matters okay, that this is a song, and that God's people sang this song in worship. And we've seen in chapters 1 and 2, just in the style and the content of Habakkuk, there's a strong relationship between Habakkuk and the Psalms. But now we've got this indisputable proof in chapter 3 that this song is part of the worship liturgy of God's people. In form and in content and in these instructions for singing, Habakkuk clearly is an ancient worship song for the church. Now, let's remember where Habakkuk was when he wrote this song. Habakkuk is facing the frightening fact that his nation is about to be invaded by a terrible and ruthless enemy. The capital city of Jerusalem and the holy temple are going to be destroyed. The land is going to be ruined. Lots of Israelites are going to be killed. Most everybody else is going to be marched away from their homes in exile. Injustice, Habakkuk cries out. Violence and destruction, conflict and strife. It's all around me. God, do something. And in the middle of this distress and despair, in the middle of Habakkuk's doubts and fears and pain, and when it seems to Habakkuk that God is just Nabot, remember, you're just standing there and watching God in the middle of all this, when there's little, if any, proof that God even exists. And if God does exist, I see no evidence that He gives a rip. In the middle of all this, Habakkuk does what God's people have done for centuries. He remembers. He remembers. Listen to his song. Habakkuk 3, verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is the first part of the song, and a lot of scholars believe this is the chorus of the song. Don't bore us, get to the chorus, okay? It's right here at the first right? This is the main theme of the song. And if this song had three verses, this would be sung after each of the verses, right? So Habakkuk is looking back to a time when God's power seemed more direct and more obvious. He remembers the way God acted in the past, and he says in the song, please act that way again in the present. Verse 3, this is the first verse of the song. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Taman and Mount Paran are mountain ranges in southern Israel, okay? And so what this first verse is going to do, it's going to retrace the exodus out of Egypt and Israel's march 
from Sinai into Canaan. That's what this first part of the song is about. Follow with me. His glory covered the heavens, and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Do you hear kind of the, the exodus from Egypt here? Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwelling, dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? This is about the Exodus. The Exodus is the Number one single most defining event in Israel's history. Delivery from Egyptian slavery and all the miracles and all the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. This is the anchor point of Israel's identification as God's people. This is the beginning. This is where it all started. This is when God finally began to act in history as Israel's mighty, powerful deliverer. Deuteronomy 33 says, Moses says that God came from the south. God came from Sinai. And so that's, that's kind of what Habakkuk is remembering here in his song, right? God parted the Red Sea to deliver his people from Pharaoh. He parted the Jordan River to deliver his people to his promised land. And the prophet remembers how God acted in powerful ways to rescue and lead and protect his people all the way from Egypt to Sinai to Canaan. And then the chorus of the song Please act that way again. God, I remember what you've done in the past. Please renew this in our day, in our time. Make this known. The next part of the song, maybe we would call it verse 2. Starts in verse 9. You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people. To save your anointed one. In the Old Testament, the anointed one is Israel. So the God of Israel is a mighty warrior and he fights for his people. And because he's also the creator of heaven and earth, he always wins. God never loses. Can I get an amen? Amen, okay. He uses creation. He uses the forces of nature as his armies to rescue His people. He created everything, and so God is able to use everything to save His people. He controls it. God uses a cloud of fire and darkness and wind and the sea to deliver His people from Egypt. He uses the earthquake to defeat Jericho. God uses torrential rains so that Barak and Deborah can capture Sisera. God uses hailstones to defeat the Amorites. Listen, God is our Savior, and when our Savior is the Creator, anything's possible. Rivers split in two. The sun stands still in the sky. The seas part. Habakkuk remembers. He knows the stories. And then the chorus. Please act that way again. Renew them in our day, today. In our time, Lord, please make them known. 
Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. Habakkuk knows what's coming. He sees it and it's terrible. We're all going to die. There's no way out, Lord. I see it. The violence and the destruction all around me, the conflict and the strife and and the pain and the unfairness in the world, the pain and the unfairness in my world, God, it looks like it's going to do me in. I know it's about to get worse. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Man, this is a graphic picture of the utter helplessness and despair of God's people. No fruit, no crops, no food, no livestock, no nothing, no hope, no resources, starvation, death. That's what they're looking at. And he knows it. He realizes the horrors are coming. This is real. And Habakkuk's lips are trembling. His legs are shaking. His knees are weak. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Amen. When an Israelite confessed his faith, when an Israelite spoke of her God, she told about what God had done for her. He told about what God had done for his people in history. And yeah, we're talking about fire and clouds and smoke and thunder and all that, but it's so much more than that. It's so much bigger than that. We know who God is because of the way God saves his people. And so in the Bible, God is never just God, okay? In the Bible, according to God's people, God is never just God. God is always our God who brought us out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. He is our God who parted the Jordan River and brought us into the promised land. That's who God is. We know our God through real, historical, tangible events that happen in real history. These are events that all of God's people experience together and they remember. The very essence of our belief and faith in God is in history. We know who God is because of what God has done. And what God has done is save people. God saves people. Amen. Hey, if we're going to finish this thing strong, y'all got to help me, okay? I need some help this morning. I'm, I'm serious, okay? This is our God. He reaches down in love and grace and power and, and with miraculous works, and He routes the enemy and He saves His people. He rescues us. He delivers us, and we write songs about it, and we remember it that way. You know, when we talk about our God, think about this. Who is God What does he mean to me? What does God do? What's God all about? What do we talk about? We talk about a real physical person who came to this real, physical, tangible, datable time and place on this planet, Jesus Christ. 
That's what we talk about. We do not know our God apart from Jesus Christ. We know God because we know what He did. And we understand that, right? And because of that, knowing what God did in the past, we know what He's going to do in the future. We know. And so listen to me. When God is silent, okay, when you're not seeing God, when you're not experiencing God's presence, okay, just remember. Remember. Remember the past. When those questions come up, does God even exist? Where is God? Why isn't he doing anything? If there is a God, why does he not care? When those questions come up, remember the past. Remember all the things that really happened. Church, God's responsible for that. It is not speculation. The Bible never one time asks us to have blind faith. Not once. The Bible never says, just believe. Never says that. It says, you believe in God, you put your trust in Him because of what He's done. Because of all the salvation acts of the past. Living by faith means there was an exodus from Egypt. Living by faith means there was a Jesus of Nazareth. Nothing can change those historical salvation acts. Our God is a God of history. We learned that from Israel. So, just like the prophet, okay? Why don't you look back for a second? Look back. Look back at, at your own story. What's your story? Think about that. What's your song? When God delivered you, when God rescued you, when God in His love and power and grace miraculously and dramatically saved you, what was that like? When was that? How amazing was it? What happened that day? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But, can I get an amen for a but? But, it's one of the most powerful words in the Bible. It's so little and it carries so much. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Church, how amazing is that? That's what you were, it says, but you're not anymore. You're not. By the Spirit of God through Christ Jesus, you're not that anymore. God rescued you. God saved you. We got a similar thing in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead. 
dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. All of us, verse 3, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. We were by nature objects of wrath, but, but because of His great love for us, God, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What's your story? What's your song? When was it? Where was it? Who else was there? How did God do it? Remember that. What's your song? I was a thief? The Bible says you used to be a thief. You're not anymore. I was a liar? The Bible says you were a liar. You're not anymore. I was materialistic? You used to be. I was an alcoholic? I was addicted to pornography? What's your song? I was mean-spirited and judgmental. What's your story? I was an adulterer. I was a racist. I was abusive. I, I used illegal drugs. What is it? I was arrogant. I was divisive. I was selfish. I was a cheater. Yeah. The Bible says that's what you were. You're not anymore. Romans chapter 5, listen to this. You see, at just the right time, doesn't that sound like Habakkuk? At the appointed time? At just the right time, just when God decided it was so. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ. We rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, you were dead. You were hopeless. You were totally helpless. But you're not anymore. God saved you. What's your story? What's your song? You know what mine is? My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. That's my song. Of course, you might like it too. What's your story? What has God done for us? He has saved us. He has rescued us. He has delivered us. What will God do for us in the future? He will save us. 
He will rescue us. He will deliver us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, check this out. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Don't you love that? Church, that ought to fill us with so much confidence today. Back to Habakkuk 3. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, this is the worst situation the prophet can imagine, right? And you might be in the middle of a situation just like this right now. Maybe you've never suffered anything horrible. Praise the Lord if that's so. But what do you do when the boss comes in and says, I'm sorry, we can't use you anymore? What do you do when your spouse says, I'm leaving you? What do you do when the doctor says, it's cancer? What do you do when the police officer says, I'm sorry, it was your child? What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Think about that. What's the worst thing that could ever happen to you, possibly? Think about that. And now what do you do? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Hey, this song doesn't give us any answers at all. What it gives us is a new perspective, right? It gives us a new way to view things. Singing songs together will do that too. Worshiping together, worshiping our God in a setting like this, it's so powerful. Hearts change when we do that. Attitudes will shift. There is strength in worshiping together. Our faith will grow. Our outlooks will be transformed. In worship with God's people, we move from fear and anxiety to confidence and joy. We move from paralyzing hopelessness to blessed assurance. And you know, we always rejoice in God's good gifts, and we always rejoice in God's blessings. But here, in the absence of any gifts or blessings, in the absence of even the most basic proof of God's provision, just food on the table, it's not there. In the absence of all that, Habakkuk can rejoice. He can live by faith in the present because he remembers the past. And regardless of the circumstances, remembering the past gives us an anchor in the present while we wait in hope for God's future. Habakkuk 2 verse 4, live by faith. Doesn't really say what faith is. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 does. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to live 
by faith. To know God so well and to understand who God is and what He has done for me so well that nothing can happen to me that would take away my joy of just knowing Him. I want us to do one more thing together this morning with your phones, okay? Will you take your phones out one more time? Take them out, and I want you to go to the alarm, okay? You know where you set your alarm? Sometimes that's an app. Sometimes it's built into your phone. Go to where you set the alarm, okay? And I want you to set an alarm right now for 3.18 p.m. Can you do that? Set your alarm for some of y'all aren't even going to try. You're like, I don't know how to do that. Try, okay? I want us to do this as a church family, okay? Set an alarm for 3.18 p.m., not a.m. I don't want you calling me at 3.20 in the morning saying, thanks, Alan, 3.18 p.m. And there should be a little button there you can click that says label or name that alarm. I want you to write, type this in, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And put an exclamation point next to it. 3.18 p.m., yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And here's the last thing I want you to do after you've typed that in. I think there's something there that allows you to repeat the alarm. You can click on each day of the week, or you can just hit repeat. Bobby knows. He's like, Alan just learned how to do this yesterday, probably. <laughs> Most of y'all with me, okay? Let's do this for a week. Can you set that alarm to go for a week so that every day at 318, your phone rings, and the message pops up and says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord? Let's do that for a week as a church family and see what happens. Maybe when that alarm goes off at 318 and you're reminded of Habakkuk's song, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, maybe that'll be a good time to lift up your own prayer of thanksgiving to God. Maybe you can text a friend who might need to hear that same message. But let's do that for a week and let's remember that our God who has saved us will continue to save us. Let it remind you that we belong to a God so loving and so gracious and so powerful that nothing can ever happen that can decrease our joy in knowing Him. Psalm 94 says, When I said my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Habakkuk's joy, we can't brush it off. We can't dismiss it as some weird thing for a prophet that doesn't apply to us, okay? Church, this is the gospel. This is good news of great joy, that with our God, we have a deep and rich and abiding joy that transcends whatever's going on. Amen? Stand with me, church. I want to read from Romans chapter 8. We know, that's what it says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Please, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, this is what I know, 
This is what we know, church. This is what we proclaim, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of our God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the whole church says together, Amen.